Dr. Keith, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. You know, I just remember something I want to tell you. Oh. You know, my daughter was on a while ago. And she, yes, said, that's right. she said, that Corey is the hottest guy ever. <laughs> she really did. She, yeah, yeah. She just, she said, God, I want a guy like Corey. You know, like she was really attracted. And I, well, you're blushing. I got you to blush. And I never told you that, but but I remembered it just now when we were talking. I thought, God, this is a good time to tell Corey this. Yeah, gee, thanks. Thanks for uh, tripping me up right at the beginning of the show. That's not someone you want to tell a narcissist in the beginning of a program, Keith. Uh, you're not a narcissist. <laughs> no, that's sweet. Your daughter was very, very sweet and, uh, you know, mighty attractive herself. So um, yeah, that's what I, yeah, yeah, that's nice. I guess. It's always nice to, to get, get get feedback that you're attractive. I mean, it is. You know, any feedback is welcome, but that one's really welcome. That's yeah. Well, let me uh, let me find my seat again after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you, man. I'm excited as always for today's show, which is in a lot of ways going to be sort of a community uh, uh, continuation of a lot of the things that you and I talked about last month, particularly around personality as this sort of bedrock uh you know i like to call it a, a, an operating system right yeah there you uh, go of, of growth and development itself um so i'm really looking forward to you sent me just a a really robust set of notes for today's show and i don't want to waste any time setting this up i want you to just kind of jump right into it so uh take us away brother so this this show is for therapists um now if you're not a therapist stick around you'll probably have a good time but we haven't done a show specifically for therapists, and that's why I call it a masterclass for therapists. There's some, some ways of addressing the phenomena of personality disorders in psychotherapy that are enormously important and useful, and I wasn't taught them uh, when I was coming up. And, and I studied personality disorders, and I wasn't taught them, which oh, is wow. interesting to me. I mean, I read the books. Kerberg, Kohut, Masterson, all those guys. I thought I really knew it well. And as I've been studying the modern research, there's some practical understanding that's, that's really important for therapists. So that's why I call this a master class. Um, and what I'm gonna do today, if uh, I'm, I'm gonna talk about how you identify what a personality disorder it is and how you identify it, but I'm gonna kind of speed over that because I wanna talk about how to handle it in therapy. Okay. You know, like you're a therapist or a coach or a change worker of some sort, and you're either working with somebody that has to deal with somebody that has a problem that really, it drives them crazy and they don't understand, okay? Personality disorder. Or you're working with somebody that keeps having the same problems and they, it's like, you're the girl with the nail in her head video that everybody's seen, mm -hmm. they're like that, okay? They don't get it that those problems are being charged. Are, are, are being created by a deficiency that they have in their, the way they move through the world and their psychology and the personality, where they just have one thing that they bring to bear in situations that can't solve problems and so it creates drama instead. Um, and so what do you do if you're a therapist with this stuff, okay? So that's what we're gonna talk about mostly in the second half, okay? But in the first half, we're gonna talk about what a personality disorder is. Now, when I, when I was being trained in the 70s, there were the humanists, there were the analysts, and there were the behaviorists, okay? Um, the, the humanists 
didn't like the idea of personality disorders because they felt it, it wasn't positive enough. And they only look, everybody can everybody can can wake up at any moment and be, you know, it's like the Catholic concept of redemption. You, you can have those those flashes. Uh, and, and so labeling somebody with um, a, per, uh, a pervasive problem seemed unkind, you know, because there was a real green humanistic psychology was really green that way. Didn't see it's too hierarchical. The behaviorist said, no, no, that's not how it works because everybody just learns from conditioning, classical and operant conditioning. Um, the psychoanalyst said, yeah, we believe in it, but we think that it was caused by, it's caused by all kinds of weird entanglements and internalized conflicts that, that happen developmentally. Um, as it turned out, none of them were right, according to the research, which is, I guess, I guess it's kind of a take on everybody gets to be right. Sometimes everybody gets to be wrong. Okay? <laughs> Nobody gets to be wrong equally. Uh, and so personality disorders have an existence. And here's what they are. Okay? Um, it's a per, it's a, uh, an enduring and pervasive um, characterological pattern of being in the world that, that inner screws you up in a couple of major areas. Um, and it's not, a, it's not like depression or anxiety. Depression comes and goes. Anxiety comes and goes. It's not like bipolar where you can just be fine and then you have a, and then you have a medic episode and you go crazy. It's not like that. It's always there. It's part of your personality. If you're a suspicious person, you're always suspicious. If you're, you know, if, you want, if you're a controlling person and you want to control everything and if somebody doesn't want to do it the way that you think is right, you get like this, you're always like that. Okay? If, if period, sometimes you feel fine and then sometimes it seems like somebody did something that, that is, is, that to another person would appear minor, but to you is a huge big deal and you freak out and you want to attack somebody and you just do that chaotically and it just keeps happening through your life. That's always there. Mm -hmm. So th there's about, there's 10 personality disorders that are listed in the diagnostic manual, but in general, personality disorder is you have one way of being, particularly under stress, and you can't be anything other than that. Okay. Like if you're a narcissist, you feel entitled, you're manipulative, you feel superior, and you can't feel equal to other people. Mm -hmm. You never feel equal to other people, and you always manipulate them to get your gratification. That's always there. It, it doesn't stop. And now going back to the psychoanalysts, um, according to the current research, this is something that is largely heritable. Now, it doesn't mean that because we're all genius people that we can't learn how to, the distrustful person, the paranoid person can learn how to trust. Um, the narcissist can learn how to feel equal with other people. The borderline person who is, is, is stably unstable, you know, that goes up and down, has disproportionate react, they can, reactions, they can learn how to be proportionate. The obsessive compulsive person who can't, be flexible to save their life can learn how to be flexible we can we can grow out of it. even even antisocial personality disorders which you really can't treat in psychotherapy um people can can have um uh, an, an experience a transformative experience um where they 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 stop being the antisocial personality disorders it happens sometimes why can't um, they be treated because psychotherapy is about um honoring agreements and 
if you're if you have full-on antisocial personality disorder you have an inability to honor agreements makes sense that you're always you're always manipulating yeah. always lying and you're manipulating and lie just to manipulate and lie if you have an opportunity to manipulate and lie you'll do it um now but that's a good point all these things exist on a continuum on the healthier end of the continuum yeah i'm like this sometimes but i can have some insight if it's pointed out and, you know and i can begin to be aware because if you have a personality disorder by definition you have no observing ego when you do it because when you do it it just creates drama and the drama it creates is the, the classic um stephen cartman drama triangle um uh, the, the the victim the persecutor and the rescuer okay mm -hmm. so normal people like you and me who are normal crazy it's not like we're not crazy but we're normal crazy if we have a problem we'll go back and forth we'll adapt we'll be flexible and we'll solve the problem um but say i have a personality disorder say i have obsessive compulsive personality disorder and you go well keith how about if we change our problem around a little bit i go no it has to go this way okay you you get a little irritated and you go well keith that might not be the, I think that that's the hundred, maybe we should compromise. No, why should we compromise? We should do it the right way. Okay. Now you're going to get frustrated. So either you rescue me and go, sure, we'll do it, Keith. That's you being a rescuer. Either you persecute me, you go, God, Keith, you're being so unreasonable, and then I'll feel like a victim. Oh, okay. Or, or perhaps, you know, we'll, we'll go back and forth. You go, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I go, well, let me, let me tell you what to do. And I'll be, I'll, you'll be the victim and I'll, nothing gets done. That's not problem solving, that's drama, okay? And so that inevitably comes when you only have one thing to do in a certain situation and you can't be flexible or adaptive or appropriate. Um, you don't have that capacity and you don't have an observing ego to observe that. Um, and that's a big deal. 15 to 19% of the, of the general population has something like this. And it's way more than that in therapy. And if you count having to deal with other people, who have these things, pretty much all therapy is like that. Now, everybody, when I say it's largely heritable, when I first read that, I went, no, I, I just don't believe that. So I had to look at the data and went, okay, the data is very persuasive. And then, and then they said, we really don't have any reliable data about where the other 30% comes from. And I go, okay. So now, now I'm beginning to understand a little bit because if you're in a, a family with attuned parents and they see that you don't have a capacity for an observing ego in one of, and you have these, one of these capacities, like say you're shut down or, and, and you don't really care to connect with other people, schizoid, you know, say you have to get, have other people to tell you what to do all the time, dependent, um, say you like being social, but, um, but you're really terrified of it and you won't let yourself do it, you're avoiding. Um, you know, say you think you're better than all the other kids, don't feel equal. <laughs> you know, if you have attuned parents, they go, okay, this kid needs to learn self-awareness and he needs to learn how to have proportionate reactions, self emotional self-regulation, you just learn how to be more flexible and adaptive. And they'll work with you on it. And by the time you're old enough to have therapy, which is, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, when you can start having insight uh, into yourself, you can begin to, you can have more of an ability to, to, to develop the deficiency and 
you know, have a great life. If you can't see the deficiency and correct it, and if you can't see the suffering you cause other people and, and correct that, you're pretty miserable. And, and to add insult to injury, um, you can be, have a personality disorder and be depressed or be anxious or be addicted. 50% of addicts have a personality disorder. So it's not like you get a pass on other kinds of psychological problems. You know, that you can have other kinds of psychological problems. Not only that, if you have adverse childhood events, a lot of trauma or neglect, I don't know, uh, criminals in the family, pa parents breaking up, all the kinds of things that they look at, you're more likely to have other problems that are on top of this. So, you know, there's, there's like layers of potential problems. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? You go to a therapist. <laughs> now, if you're a therapist, what do you do? And now in the promo for this, I called it personality disorders of the base note of psychotherapy. Yeah, I love that frame. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, so you get to know somebody and you begin to get a sense of they have one of these problems. The most common one, obsessive compulsive um, personality disorder, which is not obsessive compulsive disorder, they're different. They only happen together 20% of the time. Um, where you know, you have to check things and you have rituals and so on. Um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder is you got to control everything. It's very, very rigid and you get really angry if someone starts messing with that. And you don't have a capacity for flexibility or self-awareness in yourself being rigid. Um, uh, so uh, when you have one of these things, you'll have problems with the world. But generally with something the personality disorder, they come in not because of their deficiency, they come in with the problems that are generated in the world because of their deficiency. You know, somebody who's depressed says, I'm depressed. And, and they're right, that's a problem. Um, someone with borderline personality disorder has disproportionate emotional reactions to the world, which causes other people to be pissed off at them and draw them into drama all the time where they feel abused. They'll come in and say, I'm feeling abused all the time. Other people don't treat me right. Um, they were not gonna say it's because I have these disproportionate reactions. That's invisible. And so somebody comes in, therapist, and you begin to get to know them. And there's two ways that we deal with personality disorders in psychotherapy. One, we're dealing with people that have people with personality disorders in their life. Friends, lovers, husbands, wives, children, parents, brothers, sisters, that kind of stuff. Uh, family members, pe work people, bosses. Um, and that, there's one way of, of helping them. And then there's somebody who actually has a personality disorder who comes in be, mostly because of the problems associated with it or because somebody has told them that they need to go into therapy which happens quite frequently, or their wife or husband drag them in for therapy. So let's talk, talk about the first part. Okay. okay, in the first part, one thing if you're, a th as a therapist, it's, it's always good to have your own supervision and therapy going. Like I have somebody that is a, a retired psychology professor, a good friend of mine, brilliant therapist, um, who I've been talking to every five or six weeks for 30 years. And you know, if I have a difficult case, I talk to her about it. Yeah. 
And I have somebody I go to for counseling, you know, a therapist every couple of weeks. Now, why do I do that? Well, I like it that it accelerates my development as a, as a human being. But also, if I'm going to be working in this field and being around all this stuff, I'm going to get sucked into the drama regularly. When I get sucked into the drama, I need somebody who understands um, who's going to help me through it. And, and I need somebody to understand about personality disorders. Because here's the thing. We get pissed off at people with personality disorders. You know, the way that the world diagnoses personality disorders is they go, he's a jerk. You know, you know she's a bitch. He's an asshole. You know? You know, he never, he never apologizes. Again, you know, he's doing it just to, per, just to piss me off. There'll be several, there'll be a number of people that will say the same critical thing about that person. Um, and that's how the world knows, the collective knows, here's somebody that's going to cause drama and not solve problems. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we adapt to them. And that's part of the social drama of adapting to people with personality disorders. And we see that writ large internationally, and we see it writ small in people's families. So somebody comes in and, and, and she, so I'm gonna make one up, okay? So she comes in and she says, my cousin is always on me. I go, what do you mean? She invites me to things and if I don't go, she gives me a hard time. And then if I go, she tells me that I didn't uh, help enough. I didn't participate enough that I, I favor uh, my other cousin's children over hers. I go, okay. So we explore more. And it's and if you ever so you try to please her. Yeah, I do. And she's never pleased. So she called up. I had to do this other thing. And she said, You're not gonna come to my, my kid's birthday party. That's unacceptable. And then I said, Well, I can come for a few minutes, but I gotta get back for this other thing. Then I went, she said, You didn't need to stay very long. I said, Well, she's your cousin, right? How long has she been like this? She's always been this way. Okay. You talk to somebody who says that. They've always been this way, and it's a repetitive pattern. Remember, it's a pervasive and enduring characteristic pattern of the person. Looks like, looks like this person, is she addicted to something? Because sometimes people who are alcoholic or drug addict will have stuff like this, but, but then they, when they're in recovery, they don't. Okay? And when it happens once in a while, it's kind of magical when that happens. But, you know, she's like it when she was a kid, probably has. So, so if I'm working with her, I go, you know, I think that and she says, God, I think she does it just to piss me off. I don't think she likes me. I think she, you know, she likes hurting me. And I and I'll, and I'll say to her, so I'm modeling now, okay, to all those therapists out, because you know, we can't do diets here because I don't really know who's who all is in the group. I'll say, it sounds like like not like she knows what she's doing. It sounds like this is just the way she is. Um, she go, well, now you put it that way, yeah. I said. I don't think she does it because she likes to hurt you. I think she does it because she just doesn't know how to be satisfied with you. I mean, is she satisfied with anybody? As a matter of fact, no. Other members of the family say it's the same thing. She's never okay with them, never satisfied. You know, it's all, if it's not her way, then it's not good enough. And well, it sounds like she, she has a deficit in her personality a deficiency that she doesn't know how to cooperate or communicate. And she really can't see that it hurts you when she acts this way. How could she not see it? Well, some people are born with a neurologic, with the capacity to not develop. It's a neurological problem. They can because we're all genius humans. It doesn't sound like she has that capacity. Well, then what do I do? I go, well, there's good news and bad news. Hmm. Here's the good news. 
What you do is you set boundaries around what you believe is right. Okay, that's the good news. And the more you do that, the less crazy you'll feel. She says, yeah, I always feel crazy when I talk to her. And that's the drama thing. So you go when you want to go. Don't go when you want to go. And if she gets into one of her, her critical litanies, you go, look, it's not okay for you just to tell me things you don't like, like that. So you need to stop or I'm going to get off the phone or I'm going to leave. She'll just explode if I say that. Yeah, right. I'm sure she will. People always get worse first when you set boundaries. But, what, but when she's exploding, at least you're off the line or you're out of the house, right? That's if you can follow through on your boundary. You know, and we'll practice that a little bit. I she go, well, what do you mean? Can, can, can she help it? And I go, yeah, she can change it if she wants. But as of this, so far in her life, she hasn't decided to change it. And so if there's going to be any kind of sanity brought to the system, it needs to come from you because you can be aware of yourself in this situation. And she really can, it sounds like. Now, to those of you who are therapists out there, which is, this is a master class in, in psychotherapy, you see what I'm doing with her. I'm not pathologizing anybody, really. I'm saying she, she has this characteristic that hurts you and she can't regulate it. And that what you've been doing is codependently participating in it. Mm. And now if you want some health in the system, you have to trust your moral framework beyond hers. And, you know, have somebody like me and other people that you care about to support you. And you need to set these boundaries. And then as a person reacts, you need to maintain the boundaries, firm but kind. Quite often, people get so frustrated with somebody with one of these characteristics that they'll say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a piece of my mind. And they'll try to, like, wake them up like this. Okay. Remember Airplane? I was just going to say, you remember Airplane? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was when it was freaking out and people were lined up to try to slap some sense into her. Classic movie. Classic movie. Yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> you know, it was, anyway. <laughs> it's a classic movie. And so that's just turning into the persecutor. That's being in the drama. You don't, you don't wake people up by being mean to them. You set a firm and kind boundary. Okay. And you support that. Now she'll feel guilty doing that because what people do, particularly green people who like therapy more than other value memes. So I get people from all, all the value memes coming to, to work with me. Probably if I had to, the, the largest would be green. It just feels hierarchical. Um, it, feel, it doesn't feel equal. And I go, you know, there's some areas where people have a disability. So she has a disability, and so you, she doesn't realize it. And so you need to set some boundaries around her disability to limit the amount of damage to you and your family. And over to, now, that's in addition to everything else she and I, this woman and I are working with. Now, this is what I mean by the base note. If you're not dealing with somebody's personality and the dramas that they're typically entangled in, pretty much everything else you try to do with them you want to help them with their sexuality. You want to help them with their anxiety, their depression, their OCD. Is compromised by that. If you know where you're, where you're going on that bottom foundation, either you have, uh, you have one of these deficiencies or you don't. If you don't, then great. You know, we can work on other stuff. If you do, then as a ther therapist, and now we're going to get into the next part, 
The therapist is always addressing this while you're addressing other things. Because when you're, in, when you're a therapist, you're working on many levels simultaneously. Right. That's your job. And it's a difficult job. It's challenging. And, and in this particular area, it's painful. And when therapists get together and talk about the clients and they talk about being, feeling injured, pretty much it's all the personality disorders that are causing these injuries. And, you know, and if, and if you're in a supervision group where someone says, yeah, that person's a real asshole, that's not the right supervision group. You want to be in a supervision group where it says, oh, that person seems to have an enduring and pervasive characteristic pattern of the person that involves attacking you or frustrating you. And now you've been pulled into the drama, it sounds like. So what, what are we going to do about that? So say I'm another therapist and her cousin comes to see me. Okay. And I go, well, what brings you here? My, my family told me I needed to get in a therapy. Okay. I've heard this many times. Mm. Go, well, why do you think they did? They say that I'm too controlling and negative and hostile. Well, are you? I don't think so. I just, I just call it like I see it. Okay. So tell me what that means. Well, just something to be done. I can see how to do it. And I talk about it and, you know, sometimes people will not see it and it's frustrating. You know, you know, they'll argue with me. Okay. Does that cause you problems with your family? Yeah. Especially with my cousin, you know, she's like, she, she's so flaky. Sometimes she shows up, sometimes she doesn't, you know, sometimes she does it right. Sometimes she doesn't. And she starts crying sometimes when I tell her she screwed something up. She's too sensitive. Okay. So, it sounds like you have a very strong idea about how to make things work. And it's very frustrating for you when other people want to change, want, want you to change that. Yeah. So how are you with, with compromising and apologizing? Well, you know, I'd be lying if I'm apologizing for something that I didn't do. Okay. So you don't apologize much. No, not, not that I can think of, but sure, I apologize. When's the last time you apologized? I really can't think of it. And it sounds like in these situations, it comes, it's like a power struggle. You want to do it right, and then they don't want to do it right. And I'll go, you know, I think that you have a difficulty being flexible. You know, a lot of people will compromise just to kind of make things work. You know, I'll give a little and then take a little. And, but it sounds like you don't really compromise. Sure, I compromise all the time. Give me an example. Well, um, can't think of one. Now, I'm doing two things with this person. Okay? One thing is I'm very, very gently getting them to understand or to consider the possibility that there's a capacity that they're missing that's a very important capacity. And the capacity to be flexible, adaptive, and appropriate is necessary socially. Now, if my hippie self back in you know, 1968, 69, 70, 71 said this, he'd go, hey, well, fuck you. I'm in the counterculture. I'm not trying to be appropriate for anybody. I'm just being myself. Right. I go, oh, really, Keith? So those, those blue jeans, those bell bottoms you have with all the patches, how do those fit in with your friends? Well, I don't know. A lot of my friends have bell bottoms with patches. That sure, yeah, your long, stringy hair, you know. I like my hair this way. Sure, I'm sure your friends like it too. You know? In fact, I think that probably the way that you are is very appropriate for the culture that you're in. <laughs> in other words, flexible, adaptive, and appropriate to the culture that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now, 
as a, so I'm doing two things. One, I'm pointing out there's a possibility that your inability to be flexible is causing problems and that maybe being more flexible might help you out. The second thing that I'm doing is at this moment, she and I are going, joining together and observing her being inflexible. We're practicing being the witness. Now it's a compassionate witness because we're looking with interest. In psychotherapy, you're constantly attuning to yourself and your client. You know, what am I sensing, feeling, judging, wanting, thinking? I wonder what they're sensing, feeling, judging, wanting, thinking. So that's maintaining the container, which is, you know, we like each other, we're working on this, you know, we're working on growing. If I'm aware of this deficiency, then a base note with this person is always moving towards having moments of being the compassionate witness of observing yourself, either in conflict with another person, with her part of it there, as well as the other person's, and observing yourself having difficulty being flexible, having difficulty taking responsibility. I'm not, I'm not hammering, I'm just there. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, at some point she goes, you're not doing this therapy right. I go, oh, really? How am I not doing the therapy right? Well, if you're doing the therapy right, I would be feeling a lot better and getting along better with my cousin by now. We've had, what, 10 sessions? I mean, I should be done. Okay, now, as, as, if you're a therapist hearing stuff like this, which, you know, you hear, you start feeling defensive. Mm. Okay? I start feeling victimized. I start feeling like you're persecuting me. You know, and, I, I, and now I'm being drawn into the drama, okay? Now, if I don't observe that, I'll start defending myself. Right. If I do observe that, then I go, okay, growth, growth opportunity here. I'll go, so it sounds like you have a place that you want to be, that, that you're not there yet. Tell me that place. Well, I, I want to never be mad at my cousin. So you don't like being mad at your cousin? No. It's, and it sounds like from what we've talked about that, that you think that if she did everything that, that you thought was right, you wouldn't be mad at her. Yeah. Well, so I think probably that's not going to do it. I don't, I don't think everybody else changing so that you're not going to be pissed at them is going to work because that never works. I think probably you have to change too. What do you mean I have to change? Well, you know that thing about flexible we talked about? I think you need to be a little more flexible. And not only that, when you're flexible, you go, you know, my cousin isn't trying to mess with me. She's trying to do something that, that she actually believes is right. Well, it's not right. Well, you know, maybe you have this habit of looking for what's wrong rather than what's right. That's, to me, that's a bad habit because then you miss out on all the right stuff. Okay, now we're not talking about me being a bad therapist anymore. And, you know, I've, I've gone 10 sessions and so on. We've just gone deeper into the dynamic of the dissatisfaction. Okay. So there is this invitation for drama. No, thank you. I don't want to do the drama. Let's relate instead. Now you do this a thousand times. Yeah. Two thousand times. And often individual therapy is not enough for if you're working with a personality disorder. I love support programs. I love AA. I love OA. I love uh, ACA, all the A's. I love uh, D, Debtors Anonymous. I love um, Gamblers Anonymous, um, Al-Anon. I just haven't met any one of those that I didn't like. I mean, 
they're not caught you can't do a cult the way they set it up so i mean i mean i know there's there's probably meetings where crap happens but mostly it's the cleanest thing i love dialectical behavior therapy where you have to go in and learn skills every week you know you have to learn how to apologize and how to dress appropriately and how to not apologize and how to uh, listen and be empathic and how to be mindful and they, they practice mindfulness so if you're working with someone with a personality disorder, you want them to be in some other thing where they're learning about human skills. And that really helps. Now, often what they want is, a, is, is one shot. Hey, look, how about if I just go take a bunch of acid and you know, have a transformative experience and I won't have any problems anymore? And if they're stable enough to go take a bunch of acid and they know somebody who'll do that, fine. Go do your acid thing and then we'll process it together. Um, I love the psychedelic therapies. I don't particularly care to doing myself um i'm just lazy i guess <laughs> you get somebody ready you got to get the drugs you got to be legal you know you got to sit with them through it you know get the pad the music and you know all that stuff and that's fine but that's not for me that's not as interesting as two days later they come in and we have a session and process right okay that's where i that's that i enjoy that and so i encourage my clients to go have their their psychedelic experiences and then set up an appointment with me the next day or the day or a couple of days later. There's a few people in California I know who do this stuff. But, uh, and you might have a flash. You might have a flash of insight in, you know, I, I need to be more open to other people. And you go, yeah, that kind of fits into this more adaptive and flexible thing we've been talking about, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, now in the midst of this, all the other stuff is happening. Relationships are happening, and sex is happening, and friendships are happening, and work is happening, um, and problems, all kinds of dramas. In England, borderline personality disorder has the same level of unemployment as schizophrenia. Oh, it's wow. a very debilitating um, condition. Um, people with schizotypal personality disorders where they act really wacky and they expect everybody to adapt to them. I can't like that once. I mean, this guy looked super weird. You know, it, he was, it was, it was, you know, there was trans stuff going on, but there was all kinds of other weird stuff. And he just was offended him that anybody would take, would, would be weirded out by the fact that he was just weird all the time. So we would talk about it. We got to the point where we could kind of examine his weirdness, but he always felt great about it. I go, but you know, people are going to react negatively. I said, so what? That's who I am. I mean, he was very happy with his weirdness. Um, you know, he, he was somebody who had a trust fund. He, was, he finally, one of his caretakers fired me because I wasn't making him less weird. <laughs> you obviously don't know what you're doing. He's still weird. I go, well, he likes it. What do I do? Well, I, well, you know, that's called schizotypal. Barely treatable. Um, anyway. So th this is how it works in psychotherapy. And it's hard. It's really hard. And here's some, some tips for psychotherapists around this. You need boundaries. Mm -hmm. You need really good boundaries. I mean, I tell people, you got to come, you got to pay 24 hours notice or I charge you for the session. Um, uh, if people start getting it, it this, doesn't, this doesn't happen to me much anymore. Um, but there's certain kinds of dramas I'm not going to participate in. Uh, Otto Kernberg, uh, who was a person who popularized the idea of narcissistic personality disorder, he would tell his patients, he said, if you call me 
um, with a suicide attempt and I have to call 911, then I'd be in a social worker and we're going to ease off our therapy. In other words, don't call me with drama. You know, take care of it someplace else. Now, you know, that's a little extreme, but it's like that. And you don't make exceptions. There have been people that have had their license disciplined because they allowed themselves to go have coffee with their borderline client. And the borderline client complained about it. They said that was too personal. And that's not a made-up story. That's a real story. Now, you know, there's a lot of therapists who do a lot of bad things. And, and you know, and they should have their license disciplined. But in this, we'll talk about borderline personality disorder for a moment. Borderline personality disorder has stable instability. They go into chaotic emotionality. And there's two major forms. One is the angry form where they, they go into, you did me wrong and, and I need to attack you. And then there's the shutdown self-destructive for I'm going to stay home and I'm going to cut myself and maybe try to kill myself. Those two forms. And so um, when, when they're in the, I'm really upset, they go, I want you to break the rules for me. Um, I want to be able to come to your house when outside of a session when I need to. No, mm -hmm. you can't do that. But I need to. You can't do it. Um, you know, I'm going to be at the, this, this festival. I just want to say hi to you at the festival and, you know, maybe have a beer. No, can't do it. Um, now, if you say yes, then you're in the drama. And later on, you might be explaining that to a licensing board. Okay. It's a big deal. Probably about 70, 80% of the complaints, I'd say, that are not bogus, that are legitimate complaints of, I'm freaking out, you know, where the therapist didn't act badly. I mean, you know, 50 or 20%, I'm sure, I don't know what these percentages are, maybe it's, long, maybe it's more than that. They really acted badly. They had a sexual relationship with a client, you know, have a sexual relationship with borderline client, that's it for you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Keith, in your observation, is some of this uh, failure to hold healthy boundaries, does this come out of, um, for example, green schools of psychology or green enactments of, of, of psychology? That's a really good question. Um, by the way, uh, I, in, in the texts on presenting, you're never supposed to tell somebody that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really great question um so two things um the first answer it's yes and no yeah. as all all integral answers are usually the, the first one is yeah um uh the humanistic movement which which morphed into the positive psychology movement which morphed into a lot of the stuff that happens now, emotionally focused therapy that kind of stuff um feel like it's pejorative to diagnose people with personality disorders. Um, and that um, if you get the right, emotionally focused therapy, according to Susan Johnson, if you get the right kind of relationship, people are able to relate vulnerability to vulnerability, bam, you can kind of snap into a better place. And that's true for a lot of couples, not, not for all couples. Um, so the answer to that is, yeah, I think the green therapies um, are more vulnerable. I think if you go into graduate schools today, um, they're they're picking up a little bit of what um, Tukanad and um, uh, Hate talk about in the coddling of the American mind. Modern universities, super sensitive, 
mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, treating people as if they're fragile, um, you know, it, it essentially making them more sensitized rather than more resilient. I think, I think that there's a little bit of that now. Um, I think, I think also there's pressure if you're in psycho, if, when you're a psychotherapist in private practice like myself. Um, people want what they want. Mm-hmm. Their narcissist wants their narcissistic supply. The borderline wants you to validate that that, that 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 she's being abused by these other people. It's not like she has a problem. The obsessive compulsive person wants, yeah, you you you're the person who knows how to do stuff right. Um, uh, uh, now the schizoid person, why am I here? I mean, you know, oh yeah, my mom sent me. <laughs> well, you know, you'd be a lot happier if if you were connected to other people. What makes you say that? <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. Yeah. And some people are very satisfied not having much contact with other people, and that disturbs other people. Right. Um, all, this, all this reminds me of another classic movie. Uh, what was it? What about Bob? Oh, yeah. Bill Murray, and I think it was Richard Dreyfus, maybe. Bill Murray, Dependent Personality Disorder. Classic. Yeah. Okay. And he did it. What happened? What 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 happened um, with his therapist didn't set boundaries for him. Right. So what do you do? He just colonized Dreyfus's life. <laughs> right. <laughs> colonized his life. Okay. So so the answer to that is yes, but also no. Um, it it really doesn't matter where you do your therapy. Um, I don't know if there's. I guess there's. I'm trying to think of a, of a red therapy. Really can't think of one. You know. Um, Perhaps prison, if you had a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, they have good prisons in Sweden. I mean, they're nice places. People are treated respectfully. Almost without exception, they're not locked in, except for the murderers and stuff. Um, and it's very, it, it, is, it is, and so there's an environment there where they're, they're still in prison, but there's a whole thing about, you know, we want to we become a functioning member of society, which works right. for, if you're talking about personality disorders, it works for some, not for others. Right. Um, and that uh, would really be sort of a, a more amber approach, really, right? Sort yeah, I guess so. Amber to contain that red. Well, and also red. amber would be Christian counseling. Yeah. Uh, but the good therapist, the good pastoral counselors, um, they're not limited generally by their religion. If they're if they're going to be a good therapist. If they are, then they're not being a therapist anymore. They're being a mind control person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mind control and therapy do not fit together. Even when, even modern hypnotism, where someone surrenders executive control to the hypnotist. Um, the, the good, and I used to do some hypnosis, so I didn't care for it much, but the good hypno, hypnotists are using hypnosis to liberate people's observing ego, you know, the witness, they're, they're, they're using it to, to have people access a sense of confidence in their own ability to, to listen to their intuition and their, and their voices to make assertions and so on. So, so in, if you're doing good therapy, no matter what your orientation, there's just a certain form that you're, you're in of empowering and liberating and respecting the individual. It's somewhat independent of value meme as far as I can see. I, I personally think that most good therapy operates during the session at Teal. Um, so it doesn't, in people in their personal life might be at different altitudes or even in, in different worldviews. 
But if they're a good therapist, they're pretty much in teal most of the time when they're doing sessions. That's that's an important point, Keith, that I think a lot of um, particularly integral newcomers uh, often forget is that our our sort of developmental capacities are often context bound. And we are different people in different environments and different contexts. In some environments and some contexts sort of force us in a certain kind of way to operate at, you know, let's just say higher frequencies uh, than others. So I'm a different person when I'm doing this show with you than when I'm hanging out with my buddies and we're just, you know, shooting the shit and having fun or whatever. It's oh, we're, really, we're, is we're that where the fun Corey goes? I don't get this. Yeah, fun yeah, Corey. That's right. I, I, I say boring stodgy Corey for you. <laughs> no, but I may, I might be more of an asshole in, in some contexts than, you know, than I am. Okay, others, okay. And, you know, got it. Well, I, first of all, I agree. And Don Beck said forever in spiral dynamics, world, uh, life conditions produce worldviews. Right. Not only that, if we get threatened, we, we have a defensive state that rises up. Now, the defensive state thing, which I've talked about forever, um, is, it happens with normal crazy and extra crazy. Mm. It's, it's a physiological thing. I get threatened. My unconscious produces 40 milliseconds, a defensive state. I have amplified or numbed emotions. I have distorted perspectives. I have destructive impulses to fight or flee. I have diminished capacities for um, self-awareness and diminished capacities for empathy. And so all of the defenses um, involve defensive states. And then I discover that if I do discover it a second, sec half a second, second and a half after it's instantiated. Now in psychotherapy, you deal with that all the time and you just go to the edge of awareness and help people become aware in the session of defensive states. Mm. Um, and then you, you give them things to do outside to become aware of them. Remember, we're looking for mindful awareness, the witness, outside of sessions. If you're working with couples, they bring the defensive states in, the shared defensive states, because they have defensive patterns where they have complementary defensive states going like this. And so couples, it's, it's like being the referee in an ultimate fighting thing. Like I'm, I'm breaking them up every 30 seconds or 60 seconds or 90 seconds guiding them into different states of consciousness of respect and kindness and love sometimes and engagement, and, you know, humor. And then they can stay there for 10 or 20 seconds or 30 seconds. And one of them goes into, says something provocative or gets threatened. And then the other one goes into theirs and interrupt again and go back to it. It's, it's, you know, it keeps you awake. Right. There was, there was a, there was a part of your, your, uh, the manuscript for your new book that I quite liked where you're talking about sort of this, this, uh, this couple that you're dealing with and you actually describe it as, you know, she's walking in with a nervous system, a particular nervous system. He's walking in with a particular nervous system, but they're also both walking in with a shared nervous system. That's right. I, I, I really enjoyed that frame. Oh, good. Well, boy. So it was like me telling you about Zoe earlier. It's like, you always feel good when someone likes something in one of your books. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so those defensive states happen no matter what level of distress. Now, if you're normal crazy and somebody points out a defensive state, you'll go, you'll see it a little bit, sometimes a lot, and be able to adjust. Extra crazy, you point out the defensive state, that's very threatening and irritating. 
and you'll fight back or explode or something. And then it requires a different energetic environment. If you're a therapist, you're maintaining a safe container. And within that container, you let you say, okay, now you're distressed. Let's examine the distress as a phenomena. Yeah, but you shouldn't have said that. Well, I'm sorry, but, but you know, it's sad now. So let's look at it. You know, what well, do you really, you know, as we begin to, if we can engage, we can get back to a safe container, but a little bit of work has been done. And this is what the old psychoanalyst called um, working with transference. I mean, you know, Freud's hypothesis was that all these all problems were internalized conflicts and people would project them on the therapist in the present moment and you're working out with the therapist and, you know, you'd be okay. Well, Freud overpromised. First of all, that doesn't make everybody okay. Second of all, that process doesn't lend itself to personality disorders. Mm. Personality disorders are not caused by um, uh, trauma necessarily, though I'm sure some are, but mostly not. And developmentally, it's not like it's not like you skipped, like you're 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 going back to something. It's like you never developed a capacity. Um, which um, I guess it's a form of developmental arrest, but more it's a matter of developmental deficiency. And so you want to install a new capacity while encouraging people to take responsibility for damage that they might do out of that, that capacity. And that's the base note. Right. Then on top of that are all the issues of what do you want to talk about today? What happened? Um, what are we going to work on? Um, and you know, the, as you get involved in somebody's cosmology and their whole universe, that's always on your mind as a therapist. That's how it's the base note, influence, helping them develop the, the witness, the capacity, responsibility, get more effective, and deal with their anxiety, or, or deal with their OCD, or deal with their depression. Yeah, or I love that idea of installing a new program. Again, it brings me back to the operating system as sort of a an overarching metaphor for our overall persona and, 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 you know, as a, for a healthy ego. And sometimes our operating systems are missing certain programs or, yeah. or those programs are, you know, need to be updated, right? We have yeah. some drivers that are, that are out of date. Um, I, I, I really like that because of course, an operating system relies on dozens of programs that are running sort of in parallel and they have to be running well. And sometimes we as human beings have one or two programs that are that, you know, again, just need a little bit more attention, a little bit more updating. And that's normal crazy. In extra crazy, I only have one tool to bring to bear. Right. And that's everything's a, everything's a nail. My only tool is a hammer. Uh, um, that's the problem. Okay, you, human relationships are so complex that you can't engage in the mutual problem solving that is human relating. Um, and uh, it's, <laughs> the, the, the drama thing is fascinating. This is why you need to be aware of yourself and have somebody else that you talk to. Um, it's, it's more difficult to work with somebody with a personality disorder than it is somebody who doesn't have one. Okay. So if you're a therapist, you're a, particularly if you're a green in general, it's going to really bother you that some people are more fun to work with than others and more dangerous to work with than others. And you just got to normalize it. 
just like if you're a parent, you have two or three kids, you're going to love them all the most, but some kids are more fun to hang out with, and some kids are pain in the ass to hang out with more often, okay? And you just got to normalize that and make an adjustment. Um, now, what we like to do as human beings is make meaning out of this stuff. And the way we make meaning out of somebody being irritating or threatening is that they're a jerk or an asshole or something, you know, some, some character. And we're biased to do that anyway. Um, we're way more likely to make a huge judgment about somebody's character by one negative event than we are likely to make a huge judgment of their character by eight positives. That one negative event will, will cancel out eight or nine positives. And so there's this whole human tendency to do that on top of this other stuff, which it makes it challenging. But okay, that's, that's, that's the fascination of being a therapist. And that's the difference between being a therapist and being a client. I like being a client. And that's one of the reasons that I've stayed in therapy all these years. And I will continue to, I assume. Because um, I don't have to be figuring all this stuff out when I'm a client. I just have to be figuring out how, how can we work together on, I don't know, be being a better guy. Yeah. Um, and if it gets confusing, that's not my problem. That's my therapist's problem. <laughs> when you're a therapist, it absolutely is your problem. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, it's the whole, all of it, you know? And so a lot of people who got into therapy because they like being clients discover that they don't like being therapists. Some people do. You know, you got to be a peculiar kind of person to do it. Okay, so there you go. You know, that's what personality disorder, if you're a psychotherapist, this is what you're looking for. If you're an integral psychotherapist, you add this awareness in to your awareness of states. This is an important form of type that transcends um, value meme. In other words, you can have one of these at every value meme, including teal. Now, they don't reflect the virtues of that value meme. They will reflect the pathologies of that value mean. But, and, and the farther you go up the scale, you know, you go from red to orange, red to, to amber to orange to, to, to green to teal, the rationalizations get more, you know, complex. Um, you know, I, I used to, when a real green person who has, um, uh, uh, say, borderline personality disorder comes in, they're using all these extended rationalizations for punishing their partner when they're mad at them. But they're more sophisticated rationalizations than we get down to, to red. You know, she deserves it, so fuck her. You well, okay? That's a little bit more honest. And well, I think that I think that her that her aura really needs to be readjusted by me providing energy on into the second chakra. And the second chakra really needs burst to wake her up. And that's why I told her that she should shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect example. Yeah, perfect. There you go. So, and you know, you notice how we're laughing. You know, sense of humor, Freud said this, is the most sophisticated defense. Hmm. So if I'm in a session, I'm losing my sense of humor. I know that some, something's going south. Now, that doesn't mean that lots of other stuff. It's not like I'm always laughing. Um, I cry frequently during sessions because sad stuff happens. Okay? Now, it's my job as a therapist to not get lost in my, my sadness. But if I'm sitting crying with my, about how sad something is, I don't know, somebody died, somebody got hurt, somebody did something beautiful, 
you know, okay. And there's a part of me that goes, yeah, Keith, you really need to keep that fluidity. That right. humor is the ultimate fluidity. It's recognizing that Dante did not write the divine tragedy. He wrote the divine comedy. Right. And there's a lot of suffering in that, but it wasn't the divine tragedy. So there you go. Any questions? Fantastic overview. So let's open this up to our audience. First off, um, again, like I said, at the beginning of the show, if you have any questions, you can do two things. You can either raise your hand, we'll turn on your camera, talk to you in real time, or you can type a question into the Q&A. We'll read it on the air uh, and then answer it that way. So while we wait for people, I just want to you know, say again, Keith, I, I appreciate this kind of overview and I'm, and I'm sure that you know, both the psychotherapists that are in our audience will really appreciate everything you've said. I think it's also useful to all of us, you know, sort of us laymen, uh, who are walking around because you know this is this is a theme that I've brought up many times before, and I'm actually going to talk to Ken about it in a couple of weeks. It's a very very common dynamic I think that we see as people are becoming attracted to and growing into sort of integral consciousness. Right? Yeah. There is this momentous leap between first tier consciousness and second tier consciousness, and a lot of people, rather than making it across that leap, sometimes they fall through the gaps. And one of the reasons that they can fall through that gap is that, you know, I've, I, I've said several times, integral as sort of a symbol or a representation of a kind of wholeness will often attract its opposite. And you've said the same thing about this, the, the, the field of psychology itself, that a lot oh, yeah. of people who become psychologists in the first place are doing so because they are dealing with their own traumas or they, they they are a wounded healer sort of within their their own lives and their own you know set of experiences and i think that it's that that makes conversations like these that much more important because it allows us to sort of cultivate the mindfulness and the in the the space of mind and the space of heart to notice some of our own crazy right normal crazy and extra crazy mm -hmm. and by doing so we are better equipped to make that transition from green into teal and turquoise stages because we're we're bringing less baggage across that threshold with us we're more easily able to make object out of those subjects which can be really 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 difficult to do until we have this sort of training this capacity to take these perspectives to find wise self to find witness to sort of find a little bit of distance from our own reactivity, right? I think this is one of the things that helps kind of clear the channel for us. It clears the highway so that we can more easily traverse from first stage stages or first tier stages into those second tier stages. And this is really, really difficult because over the years we have seen people falling through those cracks. We've seen any number of personality disorders coming through the integral space, both on stage and you know in the audience. Um, we've seen these dynamics time and time again, and it makes me that much more grateful that we're able to, you know, produce series like these that I think help us. It certainly helps me to kind of slow down, to, to contact myself, to contact witness, and to make room for these kind of patterns, right? And these, these programs that may be consciously or unconsciously running on our own operating systems and to hopefully upgrade those programs uh, as necessary. Absolutely. And you know, my book Shadow Light was designed to address just this, that 
there's material constantly coming up from the unconscious, constructive, destructive stuff all the time guiding us on every level, uh, impulses, moral, moral judgments, which are almost all instantaneous, intuitive moral judgments, and we're doing confirmatory reasoning on them. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. And so being aware of that process and just having an ongoing compassionate witness of that process is enormously difficult. And yet that's the foundation that guides us forward. Um, I, there's an interesting dynamic with this um, that's um, somewhat, um, uh, it's a little bit orthogonal to what we're talking about, but let me make the point. We have to develop inner critics. We start observing ourselves at two, three years old, being virtuous or not, following rules not, and feel ashamed if we don't. And there's an inner part of us go bad, bad, you know, like that. And we have progressive moral systems. I won't go into detail. We've talked about it in other episodes. But also there's, there is a wise self that is constellated young, three, four, five years old. As the wise self gets, if we, if we, if we do the practices that, that expand wise self, we're in cultures that support wise self, which is important. Um, the, the wise self can observe the critic and go, yeah, this is what's right um, about what you're saying, but, but your method of trying to get Keith to do stuff by making him feel horrible, that's not real effective. Let's do this. So as the wise self gets, wise, gets bigger, gets more in charge, the critics transform. They still criticize. They still have that stuff. But there's this, 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 there's this, um, this alch alchemical thing that happens. At a certain point, the observation changes it, transmutes it. Um, and at a teal attitude, if you're, if you're legitimately at a teal attitude and when a, and a self-destructive stuff comes up, you're observing it with interest and you don't indulge it. Uh, I, I was talking to my, uh, Patricia Albert uh, yesterday. Hmm. And I told her about something that happened. She said, that person was so selfish. I said, yeah, I'm selfish sometimes. She said, yeah, but, and I went, yeah, I understand. Because I observe the selfishness come up, and if it's appropriate, sure, go, go for it, Keith. If it's not, it gets regulated. But there isn't, there isn't as critics saying you're a bad person because you have that selfish thing. Right. No, you're a human being with these capacities, right. and the witness who's observing and making the call basically is trying to do serve the highest good. That's you, and this is what Ken has been talking about all along about expanding awareness, expanding embrace, that expanding embrace, actually, there's a self that, that it's a, the wise self is a real thing, you know, that you identify with, you feel like wise self. Um, those of you that have done the practices understand, sometimes you feel like, like you're something way larger than your body, and your body is basically the lens through which the universe comes into the world, and you're, you are somewhere around that trying to be in harmony with everything else. Um, yeah. Second, in, in the second tier, you have more and more of those experiences. Um, and particularly in as you go to turquoise, you learn how at turquoise to share those experiences and, and create containers with other people and, and serve the world out of those. Um, and, you know, in violet, there's, I mean, I have, we, those of us who do the practices will have our moments of that, that direct connection the correct uh, melding with Violet um, and occasionally share it with other people. 
Um, it's just that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the, the primitive stuff doesn't arise. But when it's arise, it's processed in an entirely different way from a different self. Okay. Right. You know, the wise self is, doesn't say, you know, you're full of shit, drop dead and die, Keith. I mean, he, he's not going to do that. Why self is going to say, boy, you're having a depressive moment. You just thought about death. Right. Wow. I wonder what's going on, Keith. Um, it's, it's an entirely different experience. And so when you're working as a therapist, you know that, that whoever you're working with can, can move in that direction and have the relationships and the love and the joy and the success that comes from that consciousness. Right. So you're a guide. You know the territory, and then you go, but you, you're, you're trying to help them, but they're resisting. You know, you know, if you stick a program into a computer, it goes, oh, great, I have a program. Okay, well, what if the computer spat out the thing and said, don't stick that thing in me? They go, no, no, it's a new program that you need. You know, okay, well, I'll try a little bit. No, I don't like the other part of it. Fuck you, Keith. Well, okay. Let me, can I put it in one of the other, you know, portals? Will it feel different over there? No, don't put it. You know, what if your computer did that? It would be very, very hard to work with your computer, okay? Right. Okay, welcome to the world of psychotherapy. Right. Oh, I love that piece about uh, the inner critic as well. You know, with my daughter, who's nine years old, we teach her, you know, and it's sort of a big mind teaching in a certain kind of way, just yeah. to pay attention to these different kinds of voices that emerge within us, you know, all throughout the day, all throughout our lives. Um, and one of the things that we teach her is to, to, to find a way to distinguish between your inner critic, who's, you know, sort of always there chattering in the background, kind of, you know, likes to tear down a lot of the things that we do as we're doing them. Uh, versus the inner coach uh -huh. and that transition of listening to the inner critic i mean listen to it don't tune out the inner critic because they often have very very valuable things to say but then immediately start paying attention to your inner coach because they're the one that's actually going to tell you what to do about it right and how to even be okay with some of those you know sort of inner criticisms that may be arising within us i love that story she's a lucky little girl she, you know, she, it, it works for her. She, she, she takes on to this stuff. Well, I um, know, but she's like a little girl that you guys do that with her. Yeah. You know, you know, thank you for doing that. Yeah. You know, and that, and so she's, you know, it's, she, so this is a certain kind of blessing that she has mm -hmm. that will serve her so well as she goes forward and creates whatever life that she's meant to create. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Nina asks, and, uh, Let's, let's see if I'm reading this right. It seems like parts work is really effective in this work. Okay, the answer is yes, it is. Now, what Nina means by parts work, for those of you that don't know, um, uh, parts work began, is, is dealing with different, given, per, giving personalities to different parts of yourself. Human beings have this incredible capacity to project and to deal with metaphor and to shift their sense of identity. Um, the fact that we feel a coherent sense of self is just an artifact of human consciousness. We actually have many, many different selves. So originally, uh, the first time that I learned this was in Gestalt therapy, when Fritz Perls would say, oh, you got an inner critic? Put him on the cushion, tell him what you think of him. Well, yeah, screw you, inner critic. Now, being an inner critic, you never do anything right. You know, you go back and forth. He'd have people change the seats. Well, and then other people started doing things like transactional analysis to parent, adult, adult and child. Um, um, and, uh, and now internal family systems has a whole understanding of different 
qualities of of inner beings that you can and if you talk to them they'll talk back and it'll feel like you're talking to a real person um it's not only that just just to add a whole thing to to parts work if anybody's done hellinger constellation work hellinger constellation work is you get a group of people and you go take one person and he goes now choose somebody to be your mom your dad your grandfather your dead uncle and they all sit around and deal with something and these people start having transmissions that are consistent with those people. It's pretty, pretty spectacular thing. And it's a good way of kind of understanding the intergenerational dynamics that we all experience in terms of ourselves and our problems and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's parts work. And it's really useful. At different stages, if, if someone takes to that, you know, my inner critic, I need to have a conversation with them. Fine. Or my wise self. Be the wise self, be yourself, be your wise self. Or my, my wounded child, you know, doesn't want to come out of the room, too scared. Oh, you don't go back and forth like that. Every time you do that, that's an integrative process because that communication is beginning to connect parts of you that have been disconnected. Right. Um, now, this is difficult with personality disorders since that's the theme today, Nina. Um, because if you tell... If you, if you talk to somebody um, uh, 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 let me see I'm, I'm trying to pick a personality disorder okay say 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 you're working with somebody um, like Bill Murray and what about Bob mm -hmm. okay so I want to talk to the independent Bob okay and what I would get back is well, what do you want him to say okay Right. And you go, you know, this is the independent Bob. This is the Bob that knows what he wants. Well, could you tell him what he wants? It's not quite there. And so there's this whole process of teaching the witness and going, huh, there's a part of you that really resists having a preference. You know, before you take independent action, you have to have a preference. So to stop yourself from taking independent action, you have to block your awareness of preferences. So now if you develop self-awareness, you know, self-observation, attunement, I always teach attunement. Um, there's other things that I'll do too. Just anything to, to get people activating those circuits. The self-observation circuits need to get activated daily to get myelinated so that they get, but say you're getting that happening. So now let's find out where there's a preference. If there's a preference, there's a value. Is it appropriate? Is it, is, it, is it beautiful, good, or true to assert? And now here's an assertion. Okay, now we've created a chain of autonomous activity. And then you do that a thousand times. You know, you, you kind of have to have the patience of Job to be a therapist, which surprises me that I can do it because I'm not a very patient person elsewhere in my life. But I'm really patient with therapy. You know, you want to get something done fast? Great, I can go fast. So you want to be really, you can only go really slow? Sure, let's be really slow. I mean, okay. As long as somebody's not, you know, circling towards death, you know, that's much more alarming. And right. happens once in a great while. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. So to get, that's a long answer. Parts work is very valuable in this. Parts work is very valuable in general in psychotherapy. Anything that gets different parts of a person relating with each other within a moral framework. 
Okay? Remember, there's six moral foundations, and all of them have to be answered to some extent. Um, that's, that's integrative. And integrative is transformative. So that's serving horizontal uh, health. You know, remember, it's, it's a flexible, adaptive, and appropriate. Appropriate means is I'm not violating the cultural standards enough for the culture to come step on me. Okay? Carl Jung called that getting inflated. But, you know, modern people say being appropriate. So I'm appropriate. Um, it, 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 if, 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 I, if I go, if I go to, a, to a Catholic mass, I'm not going to jump up and scream Mazel Tov. And if I go to a, a Seder, I'm not going to scream out and go, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Okay? I'm going to be appropriate. Okay? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I have some archaic material around being appropriate, but I think I've worked through most of it, I, I assume, but still there. <laughs> so there you go. And that was a good question. That's yeah. fantastic. Even though I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> why, are you, why are you not supposed to say that? Because then the next person will feel bad that you didn't tell them they had a good question. Oh, I got you. Yeah, what about, you know, dealing with my five-year-old? Well, here's how dealing with her. Well, she told Nina that she had a good question to tell me. I guess, you know, it's like that. You know, you think in terms of how it's going to land, because if you're directing, then there's a certain amount of authority and luminance projected onto you, and you don't want to uh, 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 use that in a way that makes people feel one down rather than one up. Right. I've never heard someone say, that's a terrible question. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> but there are terrible questions. There are. You just don't bring attention to that fact. You know, if you want to, see, if you want to hear a bunch of terrible questions, go to a psychotherapy conference. There's like four or five hundred people, and have some people who are very, very, very conservative and and scientific or pseudo scientific in their work. Give presentations, you know, everything. And then there's a line of people wanting to ask questions, and they really want to be smart. They really want to act smart and they want to, and sometimes they want to challenge. And that, you get a lot of terrible questions in that, right. those environments. Our, our teachers always taught us there's no such thing as a dumb question, but kind of, yeah, there are. Kind of there are. Yeah. <laughs> kind of there's some dumb questions. While we, while we wait to see if there's any more questions, uh, great questions as our audience always provides in these, in these kinds of shows. Um, we'll wait to see if they have any more, but I'll read a couple, a little bit of feedback that we're getting on YouTube. So let's see here. Uh, Mary says, Keith sells therapy like it's a fun must do. <laughs> I, I agree with both sides of that. I agree that A, it is a fun must do or it should be fun, right? I mean, there should be a little bit of that levity. And B, you are a really, really good marketer for getting people into therapy, I think. Wow. Well, yeah, okay. Thank yeah. you. You know, I, I think I've told this story before. I had, to, I had to do a deposition for a personal injury lawsuit. My client made the mistake of mentioning me. And so they, they subpoenaed my records and I was going to be part of I had to be part of the trial. And so the guy representing the insurance company had a personality disorder. How do I know that? Because all I could think about when I was talking to him was what an asshole he was. Mm. <laughs> and what kind of personality disorder? I don't know. It's hard for me to tell in, in retrospect. But anyway, at some point, he said, so, you think everyone could benefit from therapy? And I thought to myself, yeah, I do think that, especially you, you asshole. 
But I didn't say that because I have response flexibility. I have the ability to pause before action. And so instead I said, well, I think that it supports development. And to me, anything that supports development, that helps people love better and be healthier is a good thing. So yeah, and it's, there's lots of different forms of change work, but I think we all benefit from having someone that we talk to that's about us growing. And so that was my answer to, to that asshole. <laughs> so you didn't say, what a dumb question. No, I did not say that. You know, I testified, I went and testified in that trial. And weirdly, after I testified, one of the jurors came up to me and said, thank you. Oh, well. I had no idea what that was about. I mean, I was just, but it was an interesting thing. Uh, anyway. Well, it's one of the things I love, and we see it in this other comment that I see on YouTube. Uh, Faith says, uh, this was exactly what I needed. I'm flowing. Merci. Oh. Um, and, you know, the thing is, Keith, we get feedback like that all the time. I mean, we, we just had one coming through Integral Life from a woman who watched, I think, our last episode together, and she expressed just how incredibly moved she was. Um, I, oh. I, I really feel like these, these conversations, I feel like you are providing a real service for everyone who is watching and, and uh, you know, particularly for those folks who join us here live. I think there's a special kind of transmission that comes through live, uh, but also for the rest of our members who enjoy this stuff, you know, after we record it and make it available on Integral Life. It just creates a little bit of guidance, a little bit of scaffolding uh, for us to, you know, again, as we are ourselves making this transition from one stage to another stage, um, this stuff is is just invaluable. Um, it's invaluable. And I, I always love it when we uh, see people sharing their own reflections on how it's helped them personally. Because um, I think this is this is why we do it. I mean, we're not here just to, to fill time for an hour and a half to two hours. We want, you know, for this to make a real impact uh, in people's yes. minds and people's hearts and people's, you know, overall lives. And um, it's you know I'm, I'm I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to uh, to do this with you and to give you this kind of platform. Thank you. I'm yes. grateful for you for doing it with me. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, Carolyn says your presentation reminds me of the importance of helping the client learn how to witness their thoughts and patterns in order to move forward. Your explanations are so helpful to my practice. I learn so much every month. Well, yeah, that you. witness piece really is. I mean, that's oftentimes one of the programs that you need to help install, particularly for people who don't necessarily have a spiritual background or their spiritual background is sort of limited to, you know, sort of belief-based kind of forms of spiritual practice. Um, that, that seems like a, a really critical thing that you, particularly as an integral psychotherapist, are helping to sort of install into people's operating system, just the yeah, capacity yeah. to notice that effortless awareness. In, in a, you got to find the worldview. I, there's a guy I work with that's very, he's on, this, he's on an obsessive compulsive personality disorder frequency, though he's incredibly functional and, and flexible and adaptive in a lot of ways. But for him, anytime I mention anything that has to do with energy, sound, you're talking about your religion again. I don't want to hear about that. And so I need to go into another um, level of self-awareness that doesn't ring that, you know, he's been injured by, this guy was badly injured by 
form of religion mm -hmm. that was that is entirely sec secular and basically biological um and and so compassionate self-awareness will is makes and and creating and myelinating myelinating those circuits um and relating there's a certain language that works for him and the other ones don't right and he lets me know by attacking me when I, I stray off of the kind of the delicate configuration. And that's part of the, the challenge and the fun of being a therapist. You know, you want to find that. Carl Jung said, I try to find it. I, I, I develop a new theory with every patient. Um, and I, I know what he means, I, what he means by that. Now, th all that being said, um, it's super hard being a human being. And mm -hmm. it's incredibly hard being a human being with a personality disorder, and it's really hard having somebody that you love who has personality disorder. And you know, it's not a, it's a miserable life. Right. And so there are ways that we can, um, that we can grow, we can help people grow from that misery into joy. Like the, you know, the book I'm writing, mm -hmm. living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. Um, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of danger. Um, and the, the understanding of it that's kind of um, been um, liberating to me the last couple of years, because I've been studying types a lot. You know, there wasn't a lot of done done with types with integral, and I thought, you know, I need to know more about it. And the enneagram's great, but that's just one form. Mm -hmm. And I was I wanted some hard science around types, and finding out how heritable temperamental traits are has been very liberating in a certain sense, because we have the, our consciousness has to deal with the, the set of traits that we were born with. Um, and mostly their strengths, because humans mostly have strengths, pro-social, want to care, want to share, want to be fair, want to self-transcend, want to cooperate. We all have, but some of these other um, traits are maladaptive and destructive, and we need to be responsible for them too, because they're us. We've got to be 100% responsible for everything we experience and do and are. Um, and so it kind of takes a lot of the sting out of problem areas. You go, okay, it's a problem area. So my job is to figure this out and turn it into a strength somehow. Right. And that's, that's uh, um, sensitization into um, resilience. That's trauma into transcendence. It's all those. So on that note. That was fantastic, man. That was a great overview. Really, really critical stuff. Thank you as always. And of course, thank you uh, to our audience uh, yeah, thank for, you, for, guys. for joining us today in real time and asking such great questions. You're not allowed to say it, Keith, but I can say it. <laughs> That's right. They were all great questions. There were no dumb questions among any of them. No, there were no dumb questions. And uh, this was just fantastic. And you know, that last point you made, Keith, just reminded me, there was another part of, of the notes that you shared with me today, where you're talking about, you know, one of the roles that you have as, as a, as a psychotherapist is you're sort of doing two things at once. You are both responding to the surface features of whatever sort of symptoms that the person in front of you is presenting to you. And here's my problems. Here's how I think about my problems, but you're also doing something a little bit more subtle in the background. And you are trying to attune at every moment into the overall 
cosmic address of the person itself. So that, as you just mentioned with your last example, when you're dealing with someone who maybe has some particular allergies or aversions around religion, for example, you can communicate in a different way. You can communicate in an artful and skillful way so that you know, you're able to still kind of bridge that gap and install those kinds of programs with them. And it just reminds me that you know what you're doing here with your practice is equal parts science as well as art. There really is an art to this kind of interpersonal judo that you are doing with people in real time uh, as they are, you know, interfacing with you. And that was um, the that was the title of my first book on integral psychotherapy, waking up the art and science of psychotherapy. Yeah. And I want to answer. There was a question that didn't get answered. How oh, was it? Don's question. Yeah, and the is question: there, was, Is there an age at which personality disorders can be identified? That's that is. I'll just say a great question. <laughs> um, four to seven. Interesting. Now it's really hard though, because there's all kinds of other things. I mean, little kids act weird all the time. Yeah. Okay. But there's certain ways of, of, of interacting with each other that can be observed. And you can find the strengths and the deficits. Um, and that's really important. Because as a parent in modern parenting, we want to um, recognize those and provide the boundaries that the kid needs around their deficits. And then the opportunities to learn the, to install the, the capacities that they have difficulty installing. Um, now we do this with all kids. With some kids, it's a lot harder. Mm. Those kids probably destined to have one of these 10 conditions, more or less. Yeah. And so, you know, my daughter had this, I had it. Um, and so both, both my daughter and I had to go through dark, very heavy dark night of the soul through our adolescence and we had to dedicate ourselves to a particular transformative way of being in the world to grow we did it radically different ways in many ways uh and and so i look back at those times i can see myself with those blind spots and go wow keith it wasn't visible to me at the time it is now um and generally that's the case when you do vertical development you can look back and see where you, you, when you wake up, you wake up to a place, you can see back where you were asleep. Um, so, that, you know, it's, it's not pathologizing anybody, but it's also not saying I need to go around and if somebody's giving me a hard time, I need to just, you know, suck, I just need to take it. No, you know, we all need to help each other. And sometimes that means setting boundaries. Sometimes it means saying yes. Sometimes it means saying no. And sometimes it means seeing somebody's um, blind spots and flaws and, and curses as well as their blessings. Well said. And that's what this was about today. This was for the therapist to have this structure to take into your work so you can normalize it. And now you can work that base note while you're doing all your other work. Gorgeous. Gorgeous, beautiful, my friend. Thank you as always. Good to see you. You too, man. Good to see you next time. That's right, Keith. I'll see you next month, buddy. Next month. Bye bye. Bye, y'all.